The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. I've got with me an amazing guest. Very happy to have this guest here today with a huge amount of experience, and we're going to cover some of that in the show today. Uh, host of the Peter Schiff Show, I have Peter Schiff. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Peter. Well, thanks for having me on your show, Craig. No worries at all, mate. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, but before we get started, I'd just like it if, if you could give a bit of an introduction on yourself, you're going to do yourself a lot more justice than what I could ever do. So if you just want to let yourself uh, or introduce yourself to the listeners, that'd be fantastic, mate. Uh, sure. I mean, my profession is asset management and banking. I have a broker dealer in the United States. I have an asset management company. I actually have an offshore bank. Uh, both my offshore bank and my asset management company are now based out of Puerto Rico. Uh, but uh, you know, prior to moving to the Puerto Rico, I was living mainly in the Northeast in Connecticut and prior to that in California. But I kind of made a name for myself based on my uh, rather vocal uh, predictions about the housing bubble and the financial crisis that we were headed to. And I was, rel- you know, I guess, a fixture on cable television, you know, you know, financial television for four years or so. I was on every week, uh, different news channels uh, talking about the bubble that I saw in the economy, blaming the Federal Reserve uh, for keeping interest rates too low and for distorting the markets and blaming uh, the government for guaranteeing mortgages and all the moral hazards. And I was warning about all the problems. And of course, uh, in 2008, I was vindicated where a lot of the forecasts or pretty much all the forecasts had come true. And, um, you know, so I, I, I rose to a degree of uh, notoriety online I and mean, somebody came up with a YouTube video, which they called Peter Schiff was right, which had about 2 million views. Back when 2 million views was a lot of views on YouTube because it was relatively uh, young back in early 2009. And so it was one of the top, uh, you know, videos for a long time. That was not, you know, a music video or something. But I wrote a couple of books, uh, a few bestsellers. The first one was The Real Crash Proof, Had a Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse that came out in February of 2007. And I followed it up with some other books. And um, so, you know, I, 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 garnered a reputation and now I have a, a, an online following as well. I have my own podcast, The Peter Schiff Show, and I talk about all sorts of things, not just the markets. I talk politics, I talk economics, um, things like that. Well, mate, definitely a, a distinguished guest for sure. And I, I look forward to racking your brain on a few things. I mean, you, you discussed now uh, back in 2007 and you were vindicated in 2008, of course, the 2008 financial a crisis that we did witness. I was in London at the time. It was probably the time that made me as a trader the most uh, because markets fall a lot quicker than they go up, as we all are very privy to. Now, what um, I mean, we, we've seen this market, uh, global market, US market, I mean, the US market is the barometer of the global economy, so to speak, still is, uh, despite um, what anyone else might think as, as the powers shift. But are you seeing anything at the moment that's of major concern to you? Because we're in our ninth or it's a ninth or tenth year that we've been uh, more or less sort of on a bit of a bull run. What's concerning you at the moment? Is there any concerns? Yeah, everything concerns me. I mean, first of all, from a trading perspective, I didn't actually make money on my positions in 2008. I made money in 2007 because I was short the subprime market. We set up a hedge fund. Uh, to short subprime mortgages. And, and that particular trade worked out spectacularly well. But 
I also assumed that after the um, the financial crisis and after housing prices collapsed and we had this horrible recession, I was forecasting the, the worst recession since the Great Depression, double digit unemployment, trillion dollar deficits. I assumed when I was making these forecasts that the result would be a big drop in the U.S. dollar. I thought that the Federal Reserve was going to attempt to reflate the bubbles uh, by slashing interest rates and printing even more money, which is exactly what they did. And I thought that would produce a dollar crisis. So I had a lot of gold stocks. I had a lot of foreign stocks thinking that the dollar would go down and gold would go up. Instead, the dollar went up and gold went down. So my stock portfolio did not do nearly as well as my subprime bet. But what I think is going to happen next is that trade is going to conclude with an even bigger dollar crisis than the one that I originally thought was going to follow the financial crisis. Because what I got wrong was that I thought that the Federal Reserve would try to reflate the bubbles, but that it would fail. What I didn't realize is that they would succeed. And they actually made the real estate bubble and the stock market bubbles bigger than the ones that popped in 2001, 2008. And so as a result, all of the underlying structural problems that led me to accurately forecast that financial crisis have been exacerbated since the crisis. And so now I think the U.S. economy is in far worse position than it was back then. And I think this next crisis is going to actually be a dollar crisis, a sovereign debt crisis. It's not going to be mortgages that people are going to be worried about. It's going to be U.S. Treasury bonds. And 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 this is a much bigger crisis. It has much broader uh, implications worldwide. And I think the losses that are going to be, you know, that are people are going to be hit with, particularly in the United States, are going to be much greater. Even if the losses aren't nominal, it's going to be in real terms. It's going to be the, the collapse in purchasing power of the U.S. dollar that's going to impoverish so many Americans. Well, I, I can admit to you uh, that I was also on the wrong side of that dollar trade as well. Um, we were calling, I actually think I wrote a piece way back then called The Last Dollar Dash because when it shot up, we were all, Miss Offham, the guys that I traded with, we were all going, right, we are waiting for our entry to short this because this is a short-term pop and we can't see this being sustained. So I was short the dollar as well, the dollar index contracts, and it just didn't eventuate. It just kept on holding and banging around and it didn't really give us what we thought. So I can uh, I can certainly sympathize with that trade for sure. So Yeah, and the, and the interesting thing, Craig, and I talk to people about this a lot, back when the 2008 crisis hit, the US dollar was at an all-time record low in the summer of 2008. The dollar index was barely holding the 70 handle and gold was at 1000. It was an all-time high. It had gone up from under 300. So before the financial crisis, everybody was short the dollar and everybody was long gold. Oil, remember oil was 140, $150 a barrel. So people already, you know, were worried about the dollar and they were bidding up commodities and bidding up gold. And then when they got completely blindsided by the financial crisis, everybody reversed those trades. Everybody rushed to buy dollars, sell gold. Uh, but today, traders are in the opposite position. You have hedge funds short gold for the first time since maybe 2001. Everybody is long the dollar because they think the Fed's going to keep raising interest rates and they think the U.S. economy is in great shape. So this time, nobody is worried. And when the U.S. economy slips into recession and when the Fed has to reverse course, 
and go back to zero, which they'll go. I think they're going to go back to zero very quickly. And when they have to launch QE4, nobody is positioned for this. Everybody's going to try to rush to the other side. And I think the dollar is just going to implode. I think it's just going to fall through the floor. And I think gold's going to just go ballistic because I don't think there's going to be anybody who's going to want to sell gold uh, when this happens. Everybody's going to want to buy, but I don't think there'll be any gold for sale. So, I mean, with this talk of this, I mean, this impending, um, you know, next move or recession or pullback or GSC or whatever you want to call it, what do you think are going to be some of the signs of that that we can keep our eyes out for? Because I've been watching it with uh, with open eyes thinking, okay, well, you know, it, something's coming because markets don't go up forever. And, you know, people say it'll be different this time. It's never different this time. It's always the same. Markets go up, they go down. It's what happens. And it tends to be when, uh, when everybody says it's different this time that we're getting closer. And since we've been going up for such a long time, what what are some of the catalysts that you think we'll see? I've been speaking to a number of different traders on different desks, mainly in the US. Um, it seems from their point of view, a lot of the issues they have is with your leader at the moment. Are you agreeing with that or is there other things that you're looking for that may be the trigger, i.e. when this was to occur, you would suggest that that may be the first leak on the ship? Well, I don't know that it's going to be that easy that you can just wait for some you know, all clear uh, and then you're going to know exactly what's going to happen. I mean, this is a huge bubble. There are a number of pins that could prick it. And I don't know that you know exactly what it's going to be. I just think you have to understand the end game and just make sure that you're properly positioned so that when it hits, uh, you know, you're there because it's going to surprise everybody. But I, ultimately, I think what has to happen is, you know, People have to recognize. I don't know if they're waiting for the Fed to acknowledge it or people will figure it out. But look at the U.S. economy. Look at the automobile sector. Uh, you know, it, we're pretty much in recession. Uh, GM hit a new 52-week low today. I mean, Ford is at a nine-year low. I mean, these charts look horrible. Uh, so they're in bear markets. Look at all the home builders. They're all in, in bear markets. Look at the housing uh, you know, supply. The supply of unsold new homes on the market right now is the highest since February of 2009. That was the depth of the Great Recession. And now we have as big an inventory overhang as we did then, and we're just getting started. So the, the housing market is rolling over. The automobile market is rolling over. Um, the financials look, you know, um, Morgan Stanley hit a 52 week low today. So the financials in general are not looking good. I think that the retailers are about to get killed again. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's so many signs that the U S economy is, is slowing down rather dramatically and it's not really slowing down. It's just the air is coming out of the bubble, but interest rates are going to keep rising. I mean, Americans are broke. We have record amounts of debt and rates are going up. We have record student loans, credit card debt, auto loans, the U S government has got more debt than ever. We're spending more money than ever. Last month in August, the U.S. government spent $440 billion in a single month, the most it's ever spent in any month in history, including when we were at war or in a huge recession. The deficits are bigger than ever. Our trade deficits are hitting record highs. Our last trade deficit, we had a record high trade deficit with Europe, a record high trade deficit uh, with uh, with China. In fact, the trade deficit that came out, the merchandise trade deficit was like 7% bigger than estimates. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I remember trading currencies uh, in the 1980s and you know people actually cared about the trade deficit back then and if we had a trade deficit that came out at you know 14 billion and they were looking for 13 and a half billion you know the yen would be up 2 300 points 
I mean, people actually paid attention uh, to the trade deficits. Now, no one could care less. But these are record trade deficits uh, that we have, and the budget deficits are going to be even bigger. I mean, if we're running these record budget deficits when the economy is growing, imagine the size of the deficits during the next recession. Yeah, it's certainly setting up a bit of a perfect storm, isn't it? And um, the catalyst, who knows what it will be. But as you point out quite rightly, that there is a lot of very concerning signs. As soon as you scratch a little bit further under the surface and have a bit more uh, expertise and understanding. So it's it's going to be really interesting to watch. Now, one of the things that, um, that I, I am trading at the moment is I've come into trading a lot of the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency markets. As a trader, we want volatility, right? So that's the sort of thing I look for, massive volatility in these markets. Now, I know you've got a position or, or a theory or a view around these markets. And I mean, Bitcoin effectively was uh, sort of created as a middle finger uh, to the global financial crisis, i.e. take the control away from uh, the people that clearly uh, just were greedy and, and, and you know made some really bad decisions. Now, do you see, first of all, do you see if we do see another massive collapse, and if it's a collapse based on trust, you know the subprime mortgage uh, and what the banks did, and the fact that they weren't held accountable uh, for the most part, no one really did any time. It was a relatively, you know, slap on the wrist for the individuals, some fines for the corporations. Um, you know, do you, do you see that there could be a move of money? transferring away from these having to trust assets into a trustless asset, such as not just Bitcoin, uh, but crypto assets in general? Well, I think Bitcoin is the ultimate trust asset because you have to trust that other people are going to want it. It doesn't have any intrinsic value uh, into itself. It's just, you know, it's all based on faith. It's all it's all based on the theory that somebody else is going to want to buy it from you, even though it has no actual value. And they'll, they'll buy it from you because they think somebody else will want to buy it. It's all, you know, the greater fool theory. So I don't think uh, these crypto assets or currencies, whatever you want to call them, uh, I don't know that they're going to act as a safe haven uh, when the stock market crashes. I mean, the crypto market might crash first. It's hard to tell uh, which you know which bubble is going to burst first, uh, and they all might burst simultaneously. But I think that what you're more likely to see if people are trying to move out of uh, you know financial assets and 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 don't want to own somebody else's liability, you're going to see a movement into gold. I mean, gold is what people should be buying. Uh, if they want to get out of fiat currencies, if they want to have something tangible and real uh, where they don't have to trust that somebody else is going to pay them, you own an actual rare, scarce commodity that has properties that have been valued for centuries, if not millennia. And uh, and so that's the monetary asset. That's, a, you know, that that's, you know, central banks hold gold as a reserve and they hold it for a reason. And, you know, I think central banks are going to be buying more gold as they as, you know, the world starts losing confidence in, in the dollar and other uh, fiat currencies. So, I mean, if we talk about um, the uptake of actual cases with Bitcoin, and we'll just keep it at Bitcoin to keep it nice and simple and straight to the point and the most commonly discussed. You look at Venezuela with the hyperinflation and what's going on there. Their, their currency is devalued. It's gone to it's gone to the ground, right, basically. Now you're talking about the dollar having an implosion as well, potentially coming up in the next big move, being something moving away from the dollar, therefore devaluing the dollar as well. So with that being the case, and Bitcoin being an asset class that is 
actually able to be spent and is a currency. However you want to put it, it, it is used as currency. So therefore, it, it, you know, I know it's not a globally recognized like the dollar. Wouldn't you see that as an, an opportunity for others or for this market to grow as well? I mean, effectively, we, we use a dollar only for the same reasons that, you know, we believe that somebody will use that dollar, take that dollar and accept that dollar for the value that it is. One dollar is one dollar, but that will be price accordingly against other currencies. With Bitcoin, it's exactly the same thing, except for there is a limited supply. Well, it's not exactly the same thing in that you have a long history of the dollar being in circulation. You know how to relate prices in terms of dollars because you have a long history of use. And of course, you know, the dollar used to be backed by gold and redeemable in gold. So it was a slow process, uh, you know, to get people to accept dollars. If the dollar wasn't initially backed by gold, nobody would have accepted it. So, you know, it took a long time uh, for the dollar to lose its intrinsic value and to become a fiat currency. But you also forget that the dollar is legal tender in the United States. All U.S. citizens have to pay income taxes every year, and they have to pay those taxes in U.S. dollars. So people need to accumulate dollars because they need to pay their income taxes because they don't want to go to jail. So you know there is a you know a legitimate need for dollars, uh, but you know Bitcoin is not legal tender. It is not acceptable uh, by the IRS and payment of taxes, and people don't really use Bitcoin as a currency. If somebody wants to buy something and they have Bitcoin, they sell the Bitcoin for whatever currency the merchant wants. You know, a lot of these websites, like my own, I have a company called Shift Gold and people make a big deal. They say, well, Shift Gold, you know, you accept Bitcoin. And we, we have on our website that we take Bitcoin, except we don't actually take Bitcoin. We partner with this company called a BitPay, which is pretty much what every merchant does. And what BitPay does is it allows somebody who has Bitcoin to sell the Bitcoins to get dollars, to use the dollars to buy gold from me. So I never see Bitcoins. I never touch the Bitcoin. I just get dollars. And the person who has the Bitcoin is actually you know, completing a transaction to sell the Bitcoin to buy dollars, to take the dollars to buy gold. So the only way you see uh, Bitcoin being used as a medium of exchange or as a, you know, is where you have two individuals, one who has Bitcoin and one who wants Bitcoin, and they can trade amongst each other. You know, but to, to me, it's more like a barter system in that case where somebody is bartering their Bitcoin for some other commodity because it's not really circulating worldwide and accepted as money. You know, and it's certainly not a unit of account. It's not a store of value or, you know, you don't know what Bitcoin is going to be worth. I mean, Bitcoin is at $6,500 today. It could be 5000 tomorrow. It could be 7000 tomorrow. I don't know. What can it be? What is it going to be a year from now? It could be 10000 or it could be 1000 It could be lower. I mean, nobody knows. So it, it, it can't function as money where you have that kind of uncertainty as to what it may be worth. And it may be worth nothing. I hear your point. I really do. I guess the the contradicting points of that would be, from my point of view, it's the same as gold in a sense that I can't go to the shop and give them a slab of gold. I have to take my gold, convert that to whatever currency I want wherever I am in the world, and then I can use that. So Bitcoin can be a place. If, 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 if a local global currency is decreasing in value, like hyperinflation, Venezuela has moved a lot uh, into Bitcoin, and so is Turkey for the most part as well. Big surges into that space. Of course, it's not a stable currency. We we're aware of that. It's not a day-to-day used currency. Well, I don't think it's a currency at all. I think it's an asset, 
asset you know, kind of masquerading as a currency. But okay, well, asset. But what, what, what I'm getting at is, it's kind of if if, if a market's falling, if, if a dollar's falling, yes, there is still value within the space where we know that there's a simple supply and demand play. And if more people, if more currencies are devalued, Bitcoin is a place where people do move to it. It's already happening. No, there's no question that people could move to it, but it's possible that Bitcoin could crash faster than these other assets. But you know, when you said Bitcoin is like gold, it's nothing like gold. I mean, it's true that people aren't using gold as money today. Yeah, that, that's, so that was my representation of it as a similarity, more so in that space, yeah. Right. But there is real demand for gold, right? There's always, you know, there's gold is used in jewelry, it's used in medicine, it's used in consumer electronics. It, there, there's a lot of real demand for gold. And, you know, so that if you want to sell your gold, there are real buyers that will always need gold, that are constantly using gold. That's not the case for Bitcoin. You can, you know, you, there is no, you know, real demand for it. There's just speculative demand. There's people are buying it because they're hoping that they can sell it or they're hoping that the price goes up. There isn't a real built-in, uh, you know, demand because it's not an actual commodity. Gold is a commodity and money. And that's, you know, that's what money is. It's the most liquid commodity. It's the commodity that's most easily exchanged for other commodities. Bitcoin is not a commodity. It's nothing. It was just created to try to be money, but it doesn't have the, the most important properties that, that money needs to have. I mean, it has some of the properties that money has, but it doesn't have the most important property. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast is hosted by Craig Cobb. All Trader Cobb courses, products, and tools can be found at tradercobb.com because experience matters.